Welcome to Eshorama podcast, show number five. This is a continuation of the previous show. A conversation with poet Ken Pobo about albums that have influenced our lives and our writing careers. Let's get right back into the conversation. So we just did Abbey Road. Well, we were talking about lyrics. I guess I better do some Bob Dylan. I think the first Bob Dylan I listened to was like from his gospel period. And I had a friend who was kind of into Dylan. He introduced me to a lot of music and kind of mentored me. So Dylan was one of the artists that he exposed me to. And I I remember borrowing the Live at Budokan album from the library and listening to that and thinking it was kind of strange. But... Blonde on Blonde was one of the first Dylan albums that I bought on my own. I bring this Blonde on Blonde home, I start listening to it, and it was like nothing I had ever heard before. Like the way he sings, the way he phrases, like the everybody must get stoned. Like that's the first song on the <laughs> Did album. Did you have any clue? I had no clue. And it was like just like boozy, drunken horn section, like, like what is this, right? But I was very taken by this set of songs. And again, a double album, so there was a lot to listen to. And side four was just one song, like Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, like the whole side. But it was the poetry that really stood out to me. So like a song like Visions of Johanna. Let me like, I'll just play a snippet of that. Yeah, so you can kind of get a feel for it. Ain't it just like the night to play? Tricks when you're trying to be so quiet. We sit here stranded, but we're all doing our best to deny it. And Louise holds a handful of rain, tempting you to defy it. Late. Flicker from the opposite loft In this room the heat pipes just cough The country music station plays soft But there's nothing, really nothing to turn off Just Louise and her lover so Johanna That conquered my mind So the lyrics is what stood out there. Um, what was it? Louise holds a handful of rain tempting you to defy it. Like just, I don't know what that means, like literally, but... I love it. You know, it just, it spoke to me. It I was don't like, need to have these literal, you know, I mean, it, sometimes. It made sense to me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, even though you can't articulate the sense of it, like, it's it's there. So that, a song like that and that album, uh, which probably isn't even my favorite Bob Dylan album. I mean, it's one of my favorites, but certainly maybe the most influential. It It made me want to write. It made me want to write songs. Yeah. And I started writing songs like sort of imitations of that in a way it's like i want to do this too this whole universe of like the way dylan kind of 
sees the world. And there's so many memorable lines in there. You need to hear Marianne Faithful do Visions of Johanna. Oh, she does it. She doesn't do the seven minutes. She reduces it to like maybe a little over three. I didn't know But to hear, and it was after, uh, it was in the 70s, I think, when she recorded it. And her voice isn't that high, waif-like voice anymore. Uh, She had lived a rather hard (laughs) life uh, in the early 70s and late 60s. But to hear, like, almost to have it be be given kind of a female take on it and a female voice kind of going through those lyrics, it it puts a different spin on it. Cool. That album, this album has a real particular sound to it, a feel to it. Like, he called, I think Dylan called it the Thin Wild Mercury sound that they they kind of captured lightning in a bottle and i don't think he's ever really been able to recreate that sound on subsequent albums but i think he wrote a lot of the songs in the studio and then they would go in and record them pretty quickly so not just the lyrics on this album influenced me but i think what he did with rock and roll on this album maybe a kind of spontaneity there's a spontaneity to it right yeah for sure Anyway, you mentioned Marianne Faithful. Do you want to do... Yeah. She she made your, your cut. She did. It was hard to choose an album from her, too. The Secret Life. Well, I've you? been collecting Marianne for a long, long time. I love the early stuff. I love the middle stuff. I love the late stuff. I, I still got her. She's just, you know, and she's still recording. One of my great regrets is that she came to Philadelphia and I did not go. That was a... a terribly stupid thing <laughs> maybe i'll get another chance you know someday hope so. we'll listen to um bored by dreams bored by dreams things are never what they seem they are part most of the time what is yours cannot be mine and i'm bored
certain age. Every artist works with age. Every artist a certain works with Every artist a certain age. Every artist works with I think uh, you were talking about how important the lyrics were for you with Bob Dylan. And I don't know, it's quite the same thing for me with Marianne Faithful, but there are songs which hit a chord, no pun intended, hit a chord inside me that uh, speaks to me as uh, being a poet. You know, we're in that last song, Bored by Dreams. Uh, she has the line, after a certain age, every artist works with injury. And I've often wondered, well, where is that certain age? I mean, I think you can be, uh, from childhood, there can be things that are so injurious and, you know, are those things also the catalysts that drive us in to the world of art? Um, and other people, it may come much later. And I think that song is kind of a meditation a little bit that, you know, we have these dreams and sometimes we're bored by them and sometimes we're not. But the reality of the artist's life, eventually there has to be a confrontation with uh, grief, injury and loss. That's really well said, and I, I have a perfect follow-up for that. Oh. My next album. Perfect. The Indigo Girls. Stacy and I were living in our first apartment in Media. There was a nice little record shop in Media on Jackson Street called Right Hemisphere. You may have I know you it. You may recall I, it. Yeah, I sure did know it. And, and the cat. The cat, Maestro. <laughs> I used to browse the, the stacks, and Maestro would cuddle inside my jacket. Aww. He would come right inside there and kind of make himself at home. So anyway, we we bought our share of albums there, and one day Stacy came home uh, with the LP, this group I'd never heard of, the Indigo Girls, and she had heard them I think on WXPN radio station, and she's like, let's check this out, like this sounds like a pretty good group. So we put side one on, and um, they're probably their most famous song is Closer to Fine. So this is what we hear. Something about my life Maybe give me insight Between black and white And the best thing you ever done for me Is to help me take my life less seriously It's only life after all Yeah Well darkness has a hunger that's insatiable And lightness has a Okay, I'm interested. But, you know, a lot of albums, it's one and done. Like, those, the, the single is good, and then there's a lot of filler, and, you know, you know, that doesn't sustain over the course of an album. So here's the second song. Secure yourself to heaven, hold on tight, the night has come. Fasten up your earthly burdens, you have just begun.
sleep of a night I saw you bleed through the thunder I could hear you scream Solid to the air I breathe Open night and fast asleep Falling softly as the break No footsteps ringing in your ears Ragged down onto the skin For your raging have no fear Secure yourself to heaven Hold on Okay, so I'm thinking, that's good too. And Stacy and I are starting to look at each other. We're really liking what we're hearing. And it sounds different. This was 1989. And I was not a fan of 80s music, by and large. Like, I just, you, you know that. I'm, right, you know, I'm right. always complaining about the 80s. But this didn't sound like the 80s. This is like acoustic. And these, these two women are singing and they're harmonizing and kind of these weaving lines going in. It sort of evokes like Simon and Garfunkel or the Everly Brothers or some, like they're channeling like a previous time. And a kind and of more personal. It's personal. It's like intense. Like the lyrics are intense and like very heartfelt. So I'm, I'm liking this. And then we get to this song. This was the song I was thinking to follow up your Marianne Faithful. kid fears like these like childhood memories that kind of form you and kind of damage you and then she's kind of turning it into this art i wonder though if part of your uh lasting pleasure in uh this album and their music in general does have to do with mutual discovery there is something certainly when you discover music with somebody else uh particularly somebody important in your life it's 
I mean, you, you can enjoy music on your own, totally, but there is also another kind of experience. And then there's even the larger experience of, you know, concerts. Where exactly. You, but other people become woven in to the song and to the experience as well. That's totally it, because it was, you know, we were earlier in our relationship, and this was like, she had stuff that she had listened to and brought her records in, and I had the stuff that I was listening to and brought my records in. And then, but this was like, our record yeah together you know our discovery i also think the fact that these artists are roughly the same age as us too i felt like they were my generation Mm. one of my all-time best concerts i've seen was an indigo girls concert oh yeah we went it was at the tower theater we just showed up at the box office the day of the concert and bought tickets and it turned out they were like fourth row oh my goodness Within spitting distance yeah, of them. And yeah. this was when they were just the two of them playing guitars. Like, that was just an amazing show. Like, I'll never forget it. What a great duo they were. And it just sounded so fresh to me. So it was kind of like, oh, there's hope. We can get out of the <laughs> 80s. Like, their first four albums, like, are really classics for us. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And it's, again, it it has legs. You know, it's not just that I enjoyed that when we discovered it, but it continues to be an affirming fire, so to speak, in your life. Okay, so what do you want to do next? Oh, T-Rex. Let's go T-Rex. And this was the Electric Warrior? Electric Warrior. It's ridiculous for me to choose a T-Rex album from, there's like five albums in a row by them I could have chosen. And this is not about, well, I like them too, but this really is more about influence than just liking. Since I became a poet, it wasn't Tommy James that really was my big influence. It was Mark Bolan. Mark Boland sang of planets and cars, things. And he, he had a kind of strange almost, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, he had characters that I just didn't come across in music very much. And uh, I, I, when I fell, I fell madly in love. And in, in some ways, Electric Warrior, at the time, it was not my favorite T-Rex album, but it has, it's really lasted long with me. So the song I want is called Monolith. Ages began 
classify that music is that like glam rock or like where would you put t-rex oh yeah well he was classified as that yeah partly because of the clothes and the kind of show that he did and all that okay um i'm not fully comfortable with these kind of slip-on names you know but when i think about just if you think about t-rex in terms of even titles a young poet like myself, you know, ride a white swan, electric slim and the factory hen. These were weird. Yes. And I, I I didn't need to get them. It's just that they worked in my imagination. And I thought, look what he's doing with images. This just you know? reminds me of what I was saying about Dylan yeah, and John Lennon. Much so. It's like, it's like we like weird. We like that. We, yeah, we and, and don't feel, you know, it has to say anything in a more traditional you can kind of spin it out and and let it do what it's going to do and i i think i needed if not t-rex i needed someone to do that for me and it was nice that it was someone frankly professor saying this is probably not cool but i don't care it wasn't a discovery from school yeah. It, you know, it wasn't going to be on a test. It wasn't anything. I discovered it, and it was something that I think I needed. And as time went by, I'm really grateful to Mark Boland for opening that door. Very cool. Very cool. Sometimes the discoveries are you need a little help to get it. And they, it doesn't oh, go yes. through school. So I'm going to pick a, an album that 
a friend of mine exposed me to. I mentioned previously my friend uh, Jim, who was a year older than me, and we became friends in high school. And he had a lot more records than I did. He was a musical guy. You know, he was, like, very talented. And we started playing together, too. He would start feeding me albums. He became, like, my mentor. And he was very into progressive rock and uh, classic rock and, you know, things like that. So he gave me this album by a band called Procol Harum. And, you know, maybe I knew Whiter Shade of Pale. I'm, I'm not even sure I was familiar with that song by, at this point. The album was called Exotic Birds and Fruit. I believe it came out in 74. Again, it was one of these experiences where I put it on and I'm like, I haven't heard anything like this before. Like the just musically, I, I it did it sounded different. Uh, Keith Reed's lyrics, like Procol Harum is this band where like the lyricist is a band member. Like he doesn't play any instruments. He just writes the lyrics. His name is Keith Reed. Mm. <laughs> How many bands just have a dedicated lyricist? And a lot of his lyrics are kind of bizarre too. I mean, what is Whiter Shade of Pale about? Like who knows, right? Uh. You'd have to ask one of the 16 Vestal Virgins. <laughs> um, and then the ceiling flew away. Well, of course right. it did. Okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so um, this uh, this was the first song on Exotic Birds and Fruit, and I believe it was a single. I don't think it um, did real well as a single, but it's called Nothing But the Truth. Is it on, Tommy? liked about it was this sort of combined piano organ assault real muscular rock sound like it just kind of mm. and then whatever they're doing musically with the key it's in or the chord structures maybe it's using more minor chords or something it it was different it, it didn't sound like your typical you know stuff that you would hear on 70s radio or whatever and gary brooker's voice who I think he's one of my favorite rock vocalists. He's really distinctive. Like I love his voice and the drumming. I'm always listening for the drumming. Yeah. So B.J. Wilson on drums. I I really liked what I heard. Now have every Purple Harem album. It opened a lot of doors for me. Being exposed to this album, I was helped along by this friend, who said, you know, I think you might like this. 
and I did. Well, even if it's different than some of the albums that came before it, the that vocalist voice is so distinctive. Yeah. It's kind of like the needle that threads it together, because yep. you can go back to Whiter Shade, but you can go to what you just played, and he's kind of such a, a presence that you still feel you're kind of in in that world. And then when Stacy and I got together, I had the pleasure of exposing her to Procol Harum. And she fell in love with Gary Brooker's voice. Sometimes it's fun to pass along oh, yeah. the torch, you know, yeah. like here. Like, See what you like. Take this, minute, it serve you well. Yeah. <laughs> and often it does. Next up for well, you. Well, let's go to something just pure pop, which I love. Uh, the Monkees. And uh, this is from their album called Headquarters, which was the third Monkees album. But the first one where they were allowed to kind of really be a band, uh, they insisted kind of upon it. They, they did not like being known as the, quote, prefab four. And with this album, they kind of really worked hard to kind of establish their own kind of uh, a real group identity, in addition to being the characters that were on the TV show. I don't know. I I, I always... I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a minute. Sometimes I hate rock critics. You know, always this kind of attitude like, I know best, and I know what's good, and you don't know, and, you know, you're stupid if you like this, and, well, I don't care about that. You know, if you like it, you like it. Oh, can and, I chime in on this? Because this is going to relate to why I like Procol Harum. Oh, go, go so right ahead. No. Like, one thing that Jim kind of taught me as my musical mentor was, to champion like unsung bands, bands that were not either getting airplay or were not critically praised by like Rolling Stone record guide or whatever. There were riches to be found. Like you, you have to look, you have to dig for them and then you that stuff's out there. And so don't listen to the critics. Like don't worry what they say. Like develop your own taste. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly you know, right. And then like and then you can champion these bands and these songs. That, well, I don't know. You know, when it comes to people writing negative reviews of uh people's music, I kind of think about it like with literature. You know, Joyce Carol Oates, uh, she said, why would I want to write a bad review? Why would I want to discourage anyone in this country from reading a book? Yes. <laughs> it's not like everyone's reading books. If you books. don't like the book, don't review it. D then just leave it be. You know, it, the silence speaks enough anyways, you know. But I really don't know that I need to have somebody's personal taste telling me what I should and should not like that way. I'll find that out myself. And the monkeys certainly in their day. Now, I think there's been some, you know, maybe some people have reevaluated a bit, but... Even I was, you know, made fun of because, oh, you like them, you know, that that's ridiculous. That's not the cool groups. You should be listening to The Doors. I like The Doors, too. But, you know, like that was acceptable. Monkeys, no, not acceptable. Well, to heck with that. So this track from Headquarters, I think the one I chose is Sunny Girlfriend. I love this one. It's a Mike Nesmith song.
enjoyed uh, the monkeys when I was growing up uh, watching the TV show uh, and just enjoying uh, that time when my dad would go bowling and my mom would set up the card table and we'd sit there with Swanson TV dinners chicken always chicken and we would watch on the card table we'd watch the monkeys which I had so much fun uh, doing that and it's a good memory I have of my mother that way as well and headquarters I don't know if, well it might be my favorite monkeys album but it, it, that's another one it would be hard for me to choose my favorite as for influence I if I'd say there's any influence about it, I'd go back to from the other show about when I was talking about Cellophane Symphony. The songs on Headquarters, like, you know, they're all a little bit different from each other, even though they're all pop. And I kind of like it's a It's a nice variety pack. So for me, it's a lot of fun and just interesting that way. Very cool. Nice. What should I do next? I think I want to pick Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah. Balls in the Key of Life. I was this middle-class white kid growing up in the suburbs. My exposure to African-American music was pretty limited. But, you know, back in the day, things were not as niche-marketed as they are today. So, like, you would hear a lot of R&B and soul on different radio stations. Like, Stevie Wonder was a huge influence. And when I joined the Columbia House Record Club and I got my 13 albums for a penny... Which was a major milestone in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I joined one of those. That's got got me started on the Partridge Family. I still remember like every <laughs> album like in order, like that they were in the pack. Well, Stevie Wonder's song in the key, songs in the key of life was in that first shipment. This album, like, what can you say about it? I mean, you know it. Like, I, it, I it have was, it. You have it. I have the vinyl of it. I never I have, have gotten the, the CD copy yet. I don't, think I don't I have the CD either. Which seems odd to me. Why yeah, I haven't I should, done I should that. get it on CD. My first memory of a song from that album was uh, Sir Duke, which was a oh, huge Oh, I absolutely hit. adore that song. And I had this very vivid memory of my family. We took a road trip out to California and back. 
around, I want to say 77. So we're driving in uh, up from LA to San Francisco. And we stopped in this little town called Gilroy, California, uh, in one of the farming valleys. And we stopped for lunch. I remember we went into this little pizza shop. <laughs> it's funny the things you remember. But like there was this poster of a chimp and with some kind of funny slogan underneath of it. And then I remember Stevie Wonder's Sir Duke playing on the, the jukebox. Mm. I don't know if it was the first time I heard the song, maybe not. But it was just, I always associated it with that memory, which was a happy memory of being in California. That you know, song has family. one of my all-time favorite uses of horns. I just uh, love the horns. It's a great horn that. chart. It, it really is amazing. Yeah. But also the fact that it was like a window into this R&B universe that I was pretty unfamiliar with. He had a song called Black Man, which is this long 8-minute, 30-second history lesson on all the important... It's a very it's very much a song about racial unity, but it's also like teaching me things that I wasn't taught in school. Right, about all these like yeah. important figures in black history that played pivotal roles in American history. I, I really was taught by that. Yeah. And then he has songs about being in the ghetto and like being from the, you know, not the white middle class suburbs. So it was, it was very eye opening for me. But I'm going to pick a song that I just love musically. It's called Knocks Me Off My Feet. It's more of a love song. us in the park, strolling the summer days of imaginings in my head, and words from our hearts, told only to the winds, felt even without being said, I don't want to go. one really got noticed nationally i mean the the other albums it's not like he didn't sell albums but that one it seemed like put him over a certain kind of line that made him uh much more well known to all concerned and uh, not that i care about critical judgments but the critics loved it the public loved it you know it's just kind of was one of those great moments where things came together when i was in college i took a like an intro to music class as an undergrad and in the textbook, in the back of the textbook, there was a whole chapter about songs in the key of life. 
they were sort of analyzing this musically, and the the writer of the textbook was explaining what a great you know album it was compositionally. So it really le- sort of legitimized it, and it was kind of interesting to yeah. kind of realize, oh, this pop music can be treated as art. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so you wanted to do next Buffy? Buffy St. Marie, 1992. The album is called Coincidences and Likely Stories. <laughs> and in this album, uh, well, it's not the first time she would have done this, but uh, it's very much uh, commentary on human rights abuses, particularly as uh, geared against Native American peoples, too. The song that I've chosen is called Disinformation. It may be from 1992, but it could be exactly about life today.
Yeah. That album is amazing to me. 1992. I think is this I think that's maybe a kind of a commentary on the Iran Contra and all the lies that were told and disinformation you spin it like a silkworm and here we are again. <laughs> Even does, worse. Does the whole album have that feel to it because i really like that almost hypnotic um, yeah some of it's a little bit even more uh combative i mean there's one i love it it's called bury my heart at wounded knee oh yeah indigo girls covered that yeah i know they did i I forgot that but yeah i remember that they did that in fact i think that's the one indigo album uh, indigo sisters album i have is the one that has that uh version on there but it's and yet there's also that other side to Buffy, too, where, you know, that, that song she does, Good Night, which is nothing but tender and quiet and very yearning. Um, so you can have more than one enormous emotional balance <laughs> between two very different feelings on one record. Well, that song, for some reason, put me in the mood to do some Gordon Lightfoot. No. Oh. Um, and... One influential album by him is called Summer Side of Life. And I think this is important to me because um, there was a... Do you remember the store Plastic Fantastic Records in Bryn Mawr? I don't even know if I went to that. I know what you're talking about, yeah. but mainly through you. But... That's where I bought many of my used records. In my right. Youth. And then they had a branch store down in University City, like in West Philly, and then that store, that shop closed. So they had a blowout sale where they were just like, everything must go. So I pulled this Gordon Lightfoot, Summer Side of Life. I didn't recognize any of the songs on the album. Let's put it put it in the bag. And I took it home and listened to it and fell in love with it. It struck a nerve. I think th- this is influential, by the way, because it was sort of an example of me developing my own taste. It's like, like no one told me to get this album. I just discovered it on my own. Never had much to say He traveled alone With no friends Like a shadowy ghost At dawn he came And he went Through the woodland swiftly gliding To the young maid he came riding Where she'd run to meet him By the garden wall Oh my sweet Miguel I will never tell No one will ever know What I know too well And he'd smile And lay his head on her breast And say I have no fear They're waiting for me to cross the border To swim the river Cause I've done that before To see my true love smiling face A hundred times or more Oh, my sweet Miguel, she cried I love you till I die South in Mexico, they say 
The child of a man who was soon gone away But his mother loved him dearly And she would take him yearly To the great cathedral in St. Augustine Oh, my young Miguel Listen to the bell of my poverty You must never tell And he cried himself to sleep in the night And he vowed to make things right So he took the gun down from the wall And he paid a call he knew she'd understand A lawman came to capture him The gun jumped in his hand Oh, Miguel, the mother cried You must run, son, or you'll die Yeah, it is. I like those. I was telling you, I like those three albums in a row, Summerside of Life, Don Quixote, and Old Dan's Records. That's quite a triad. Next is, you want to go with Mamas and Papas? Yeah, let's do that. This song is called Safe in My Garden. Anyone who knows me knows I spend a whole lot of time working in my garden or the garden working on me. Uh, I'm sitting here and I'm ending my second case of poison ivy for the year. <laughs> but anyways, uh, uh, this particular song, John Phillips, uh, the mamas and papas, said he looked back on his life then he said, maybe I was a little bit too safe in my garden. In other words, the garden, as beautiful as it is, can also be something isolating where there's a lot of things going on in the world and, you know, you need to connect with that and, and deal with it, and yet you're just kind of hidden away in a, a beautiful but kind of a place that keeps you isolated or keeps you apart from others that way. And I always found that interesting. But uh, as a single, Safe in My Garden was kind of a disaster for them. It charted, but not very big, and it was kind of like, to me, kind of showing that the the great, years of the mamas and papas were going to be coming to an end. And in fact, Cass Elliot left, you know, on the heels of that album too. But anyways. What's the album? That oh, it's from? called uh, The Papas and the Mamas by the Mamas and the Papas. <laughs> Had a weird cover with, you know, it kind of folded over and the their faces would change, like half of it would be one member and half of it would be somebody else. Considered cool, I guess, back in the day. <laughs> But yeah, anyways, it's and one thing about the album I do like, it's darker than some of their other albums. There are songs about disconnection and I mean, it's not all dark, but there was another and 1968 was not exactly a fun time. I mean, no. with, uh, we think about peace and love and all of that, but there was a lot of blood on the ground from right. various things that year in particular.
I don't think that album could have come out in 67. I think the events of 68 made that album kind of what it was. It must have been interesting to live through that, too. I mean, I was only like four years old at the time, so I was not really aware of what was going on. But you certainly were. Oh, that was the year of the Democratic Convention that was in Chicago, which would be about 10 miles from where I grew up. And, you know, I'm sitting there in my living room in Villa Park and you're watching the demonstrators and Mayor Daley of Chicago lifting his fist up toward them, you know. Uh, And now you have the song, you know, Can't They See the World's on Fire that we just heard, you know. There was, I mean, I was 14 at that time. There was kind of the sense like, is everything breaking apart? Like, like, like if this is 68, what, what is 69, you know, going to be after uh, the kind of events? And, you know, that was the year of the assassinations, yeah, right. too, you know. It, 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 I think it, it probably marked me in some profound ways, not just me, but many people who were at least enough aware you know when you're four years old you're you're probably not but 14 is a little different very different interesting i guess we'll do one more song yeah one more album and this was a late entrant for me you know billy joel was a very influential uh, artist i know that's a very conventional normal thing but you know that's okay too i picked turnstiles as an influential album I love The Stranger. I mean, that's kind of where I came into Billy Joel. I think my sister had that album. She was a big Billy Joel fan. I love 52nd Street 
But then I also went to his early albums, Piano Man, Street Life Serenade, and Turnstiles was the third album. So Turnstiles is the album in Billy Joel's career where he, he starts to define his sound, I think. Mm. And he, he left, he was trying to make his career in Hollywood. So the first two albums, there's a lot of songs about being out on the West Coast. And then Turnstiles is where he comes back to New York. He's from Long Island, right? So you have Say Goodbye to Hollywood was, I believe, a single off of that album. And um, New York State of Mind. So it's a very New York album. Mm. I'm not from New York, but to me, I identify with Billy Joel because he's from the East Coast. And he was a suburban kid. And I think a lot of his songs come out of that suburban experience. And that's what spoke to me. Right, right. The song I want to do is called Summer Highland Falls, which is a bit of a deep track. I just love the piano arpeggiation. And his lyrics can be a little bit um, cloying at times. Sometimes he'll reach for a rhyme or a line, and it's like, did you really have to go there? You forced it, you know? But I do like the lyric on this one. times I've ever known And I believe there is a time for meditation in cathedrals of our own Now I have seen that sad surrender in my lover's eyes And I can only stand apart and sympathize For we are always what our situations hand us And see the sadness or euphoria So we'll argue and we'll compromise And realize that nothing's ever changed Separate conclusions are the same Now we are forced to recognize our inhumanity Our reason coexists with our insanity Though we choose between reality and madness It's either sadness or euphoria Similarities. 
if we did this podcast for the rest of 2019, we would still have an overflow of influential albums. No doubt about it. I mean, this is just picking. <laughs> a lot of the stuff we picked, I think, you, you have a few exceptions, but most of the albums I picked were like albums that were from my youth. It would be interesting to do a show of recently influential albums, you know, maybe within the last 15, 20 Which years. could include work from, you know, the early days, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always discovering new things. Yeah, you know, I know. New old things. Yeah, almost too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ken, it's been fun. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I had a great time. What news do you have to share? I think you have some new books out. And, yeah, I have uh, two new books out. Uh, one just came out last week. It's called The Atlantis. That's A-N-T, Atlantis Hit Parade. Uh, that's from Claire Songbird's Publishing House, and that's prose poetry, if you're interested in that. And then the one that's just uh, hot on the heels of that is a book of character poems called Gingy Expecting Snow, and that's out of Duck Lake Books. Is that, I, know, I know Gingy. I know of her, right? Yeah. This is not her first book, is it? Or is this oh, yeah. the book that you wrote that you've been trying to get? Published? Oh, I've been sending it out for ages. So this is the Gingy the, book? Yes, and uh, finally the, a new press in Washington State liked it and took it. So she's finally been given a chance. I wonder what albums influenced Gingy. Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't want to just go on and on about it, but uh, it, the name... It's not. It's it's pronounced Gingy. I had to look that up, but it's spelled D I N D I, and it's a Brazilian name. Uh -huh. And I got that out of a Joe Beam song, and people like Sinatra and Chris Montez and uh, Claudine Langer even a lot of people have recorded this song called Gingy. Cool. And the name just stuck with me, and it stuck with me so much that I thought, I, I I've got to write about someone with that name. And many, many poems later, you know. So, yeah, influential. That means next time we do the show, I got to have some Brazilian stuff, <laughs> which is fine. I, I love Brazilian samba and uh, a lot of music from that, that period and place. Well, I hope we do another show again. Oh, soon. we will. Summer is young. Yeah.